0: good to see you. I ask you to please go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, and we'll begin reading in verse 21, Matthew 15, 21, where we left off as we we're going through our series in the gospel according to Matthew. And where we left off last week was Jesus after he, after he dropped the mic on the Pharisees and showing them this is what really defiles a person. Not washing your hands uh, to make you clean, as though unwashing makes you not clean, but the sin in our hearts. This is what defiles a person and how we can truly be changed from a new heart. And Jesus then finishes this encounter with them, the Pharisees and the scribes, and then he leaves. This is where we pick up. And he now goes to a predominantly non-Jewish area of Israel. And today you are going to hear and read and see some really jarring words from Jesus. Um. As I read the passage this week and studied this week, I, it was a whiplashing display in this passage. And so I hope your insurance is up to date. Um, these words from Jesus will jar you, will kind of shock you. And then I think when we understand what Jesus is saying, it'll lead us to a great faith of what great faith looks like and what crummy faith looks like So let's begin reading together 15, 21, and if you're able, let's stand together in honor of reading the word of Christ. As Jesus finishes with the Pharisees and scribes, he's 21, Matthew writes, When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. And just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him, and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, Her daughter was healed. You may be seated. This is God's word. I love pistachios. They aren't always easy to eat unless you buy the pre-shelled ones and you're a cheater. Don't buy the pre-shelled. Don't take the drama and theater out of eating pistachios. You gotta get in there. When I think about eating pistachios, I thought about this passage. And here's why. No doubt, this passage on the surface is one of the more head-scratching passages in the Gospels. But once you crack it open, you will find yumminess inside. And so think with me, you know those pistachio shells that are really hard to open? And then there are others that crack open so easily. Just an ounce of pressure and pay dirt. Others, you need a little more, I'll try the other side, and a little more oomph on it. Guys, that's how the Bible is sometimes. Sometimes you read a passage and it's already open, that, that pistachio was loose in the bag. Oh, that was easy. Sometimes you just add a little bit of reading. Oh, it opens up, and then that snack is there for the taking. Other times, what happens? You read, nothing happens. You read again, and you go, I have no idea what this passage is about. And you read again and again, you grab a book, you you talk about it, you pray about it, and you're like, oh, okay. But other times, it's a passage like this where you look at it multiple ways and you wonder and think, how am I gonna get the pistachio out of here? I have no idea what this passage is about. And when you get to a tough pistachio that's really hard to open, you have two options, don't you? Throw it away and grab another one. Or keep trying. That's this passage. It'd be really easy just to go, I don't know what that's about. Let me grab another one. I'm just going to keep reading. I'm going to grab a different one. No, you can't ignore it and put it back in the bag, chunk it, and move on. Here's a tip for eating tough pistachios. This will change your life if you're a pistachio connoisseur like me. The best way to open up a really tough pistachio is to use another pistachio shell is to use the half shell of another one. You slide that, instead of breaking your thumb, instead of putting marks and scratches in your thumb, you put that other shell in there, and then you can crack that tough to open pistachio. Guys, the Bible is the same way. The tough passages, we understand them with other passages. We take the easy-to-open passages, the easy-to-understand interpretations, and you cram them into the difficult passages, and then they begin to open up. And then you see, oh, that's what that pistachio is all about. That's what this passage is all about. And we got to grab some shells today to open up this passage. And you're going to see by the end what great faith is or what a crummy A good, crummy faith is. And here's where Jesus takes us. Here's where Matthew takes us. Here's where it begins. Faith, what is faith? Faith cries out to Jesus. Faith cries out to Jesus. Look at verse 21. So Jesus leaves the area of the Pharisees and scribes, interacting with them. And now look, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came up and kept crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Okay, here we go. This is an unexpected moment in the passage. Jesus he's in a non-Jewish area, predominantly non-Jewish area, which you would which would lead you to think there will be no one in this area of Tyre and Sidon crying out and expecting a Messiah, a son of David, the Lord. Unexpected. What happens? A woman is there crying out, "Have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me, Lord." An unexpected area has someone crying out. Entire in Sidon. Let's think. Let's, if you maybe remember this from earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. This is a very pagan and idolatrous place. Do you remember what Jesus says about this place earlier? It's in Matthew 11. He's doing a miracle in Bethsaida and they don't respond. They don't repent. What does Jesus say? Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if I had done this entire in Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So Jesus uses that as an example of this is a bad place. And this bad place would have repented if I would have done this there. It'd be like saying, woe to you, Tomball, for if I had done this in Vegas, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Well, now Jesus, a few chapters later, he's in Vegas. He's walking on the Vegas Strip. He's walking entire in and Sidon and someone is crying out, have mercy on me, son of David. An unexpected place is having now an unexpected claim from an unexpected source. Who, who is saying this? Look at 22. Just then, a Canaanite woman. This, it's jarring because not only is she a woman, in the first century this is bold assertiveness to cry out, to a Jewish man, to to a man in this way. But if you aren't familiar with the Old Testament, like Matthew's original audience was, this is really key to understanding the book of Matthew. The Holy Spirit has you and I in mind when we're reading the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is not thinking about 21st century readers in Tomball, Texas. He's thinking about Jewish readers and them hearing. So, so when he uses the word Canaanite, that word would have jumped off the page to his readers because the Canaanites are Who? They are the ancient enemies of the Israelites. Taylor Swift sang about them. Boy, we got bad blood between us and we're never getting back together. The Israelites and the Canaanites have drama with each other. And so now for a Canaanite woman to be speaking to a Jewish man, this is huge. And another thing that's significant here is the word Canaanite, This really is an Old Testament word. No one would speak this way in the first century. Matthew himself, the the readers of the Gospel of Matthew, they wouldn't have used this word. It is an archaic, ancient word, and he uses it on purpose to get their attention. It's not that it's a bad word, it's just old. No one talks this way. It'd be like, hey, you wanna go to see a movie later? Instead of saying to the movies, you wanna go down to the Cineplex and go catch a flick? Like, what era are you from? Just go into the movies. And so to say Canaanite is to grab their attention and go think about who this is. One of our ancient enemies, ancient bad guys, crying out to Jesus. Here's what she's really saying. I, Lord, I know my people hated your people. I know we have a history of being against each other, but you, king from David's line, you are the true king of Israel. Have mercy on me. This is where faith begins, church. Faith cries out to Jesus. This is what faith is. Calling out, crying out to Jesus, save me, have mercy on me. Even though she doesn't fit the profile of the kind of person that we think God wants to save. She's not from the right family. She's not in the right upbringing. She's not from the right demographic. She's not from the right part of town. She has a past filled with shameful sin. She is not the right kind of person that God typically saves. All of that stuff is irrelevant. There is no profile other than sinner who will call on Christ for mercy. And I know some of you think, I don't have the right background I didn't grow up in church. I don't know how to do church. I don't know the songs. I don't know how church people act. I've done things in my past that just, I I don't fit in. I'm not from the right part of town. I don't have the spiritual lineage that other people in this room have. Can you call out to Jesus? This Canaanite woman can. And so can you, friend. She doesn't let her, her life She doesn't let her past, she doesn't let her previous way of thinking, she doesn't let her worldview, she doesn't even let dumb disciples keep her from calling out to Jesus. The disciples say, send her away. Sometimes Christians will frustrate your pursuit of Christ. Ignore them. And you pursue Jesus. Call out, cry out to Jesus. Because even here in Sidon, there was a a temple for healing, an idolatrous temple. Pagan temple, an idol, that where you could go to and sacrifice and and uh, pay money and try to get a healing. Maybe she went there. She obviously knows all about it. She's from Sidon. Maybe she went there and obviously it didn't work. Maybe she didn't. Whatever. She turns to Jesus. She turns to Jesus for her child. And maybe you've tried all kinds of things to calm the trouble in your life, in your heart and in your soul. Maybe you've, you've dabbled in, in drugs and alcohol. You, you've injected atheism and agnosticism into your veins. You, you doubled down on success as, as being what's really going to give me meaning in life. And, and you've chased lust and you've tried to think that all religions are the same and you know they really aren't. None of that means you can't call on Jesus now. Those things in your past, they don't mean that you can't turn from them and see Jesus as Lord and Savior. See him on the cross. See him as the resurrection and the life. And by faith say, have mercy on me, Jesus. I'm confused. I'm lost. I've sinned. I'm like this Canaanite woman. Have mercy on me. And he will. Faith cries out to Jesus. Every Christian does this. This is where the Christian life begins. And this is how we live, on his mercy. And we do this not just for ourselves, but look. The experience of faith is also that faith cries out to Jesus for others. Look at who she's crying out to Jesus for. Herself? Yes. But who else? Her daughter. Look at verse 22. She's crying out what? Have mercy on me? Lord, son of David. But then what? My daughter. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Her daughter's demonized severely. And she's asking, have mercy on me. She hears about Jesus. She has probably heard the stories, knows what he can do, knows what he's all about, and she's going to him. She won't be stopped. Look at what the text says. She kept crying out over and over, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Have mercy on me for my daughter. What is that? Have mercy on me for my daughter. Her daughter's torment has now become her own. She loves her daughter so much, she identifies with it. Have mercy on me for my daughter. Her torment's tormenting me. Her affliction's afflicting me. Her pain is paining me. It's crushing me. Have mercy on me and her. This Canaanite woman, she is all. her faith is already firing on all the cylinders that the book of James asks our faith to. She is hearing and she is doing good for others, for her daughter. Parents, you feel this passage. And I, I know I've talked to so many of you and I know probably the older your children get, the more intense this becomes. You feel the crying out. Their pain becomes yours. As they struggle in school, as they struggle with sin, as they struggle with temptations, and as they struggle with faith, and as they struggle with disease, or they struggle as parents, and you watch them grow as parents, you watch and you cry out, Lord, help my son. Lord, help my daughter as she battles this eating disorder. Help my son with his addictions. Have mercy on me and meet them. And we say mercy because we know God is not a barista that we go to and we put in an order. And then we wait. He's the king of kings, Lord of the universe. And we go to Him in mercy, knowing we're sinners. We're like this Canaanite woman. We don't deserve anything from You. So, in Your kindness, in Your mercy, would You just would You answer us, please? We know we don't deserve it. We can't command or demand anything of You. But in Your mercy, do You do this for Your children, or do You just get anxious? Do You do this, or do You just worry? Do You pray this way, or are You just sleepless? Or do you cry out for them? And don't hear me saying that if you cry out to Jesus, you won't be anxious. That's not true. If you cry out to Jesus, you're going to have a good night's sleep tonight. That's, that's not totally true. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. You probably will still be. But now you can bring Jesus into the mix. Prayer plus sleeplessness is better than just sleeplessness. Amen? So cry out to Him better than just sleeplessness or just worry or just fear. Faith cries out to him. And and here's the deal that we must realize that this passage makes so obvious. Jesus, he doesn't always answer when and how we want. Look at verse 23. After she cries out, knowing who Jesus is, asking for mercy, you're the Lord, you're the son of David, you're the true king, you're the promised one. 23, Jesus did not say a word to her. Not a word. He doesn't ignore her. He hears her. He just doesn't do or say anything yet. Why? Why not just turn around and say, sure thing, and wiggle his nose like bewitched? Jesus has reasons, some of which we could deduce, some of which we don't know. One thing for sure, we know he's headed somewhere. This passage, he's, he's headed somewhere else to do some miracles, He does say, I'm looking for Israelites to minister to, to proclaim the kingdom of God. But consider this just practically. If Jesus does just turn around and wiggle his nose and say, it's done. We don't get this story of faith. The disciples don't see it, which I think Jesus is trying to teach them how the kingdom of God works, which we're gonna see. We don't get to see this great display of faith. It's not in the Bible. And the millions of people that have read the gospel according to Matthew don't see this picture of great faith. She's now a model for us, for millions of people who have read Matthew. Sometimes we don't know what God's timing is doing for us and for others. But no matter what, faith clings to Jesus. Faith clings to Jesus. She doesn't give up, she keeps crying out. So much that what? The disciples say, We really enjoy her crying out. No, look at what they say send her away. Because she's crying out after us. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it as, she's annoying us, which is totally possible. Remember, the disciples aren't the best examples, are they? They're telling Jesus, hey, heal her. Heal her daughter so she'll scram. Or just tell her to hit the road. Either way, we don't want to listen to her Canaanite accent anymore. We don't want to hear this ancient enemy of ours still asking our Jewish king, our Jewish Messiah, to do something for her. There is no compassion from the disciples here. They don't get it. And what has Jesus been teaching them? Love your enemies. This is a Canaanite. This is their enemy of enemies. They still don't love this woman. They're annoyed by her. And you know they're probably... She can probably hear them bad-mouthing her to Jesus. And look at what Jesus says, verse 24. I was sent only into the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's 100% true. Jesus says, I'm here for the children of God. See, but Jesus understands this way better than his disciples. They're thinking only ethnic Jews. Jesus is just a Messiah for the Jewish people, they think. But earlier in Matthew, just a few chapters earlier, what does Matthew write about Jesus? He says, quoting Isaiah, that Jesus will proclaim justice to the nations, to all people, that all nations will find their hope in him. This is how Jesus understands his mission. But the disciples think he's just coming for the Jewish people. So this Tyrant Sidon isn't outside of Jesus' jurisdiction. He isn't just a county cop. He isn't just a, a Tomball ISD cop. I always think when I would see a Tomball ISD or Klein ISD cop, they'd be like, well, I can speed in front of them. I'm out of their jurisdiction. I'm out on the camp. You can do whatever. Jesus, he's not just a county officer. He's not even a state trooper. He's not just FBI. He's global. He has jurisdiction everywhere. All nations can find hope in Jesus. This Canaanite woman can find hope in him. But the disciples struggle to see this. They don't, when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you're the light of the world, let your light shine before men so they can see. And we see in the book of Acts that the early church, they struggled to see Christ as the Savior of all races. And what Jesus is doing here is he's subtly building the tension to show them that mercy is available to all, to your enemies, to Canaanites. Matthew is showing Jewish readers in us that racism has no place in the kingdom of God. Tyre and Sidon, Canaanites, anyone, anyone can cling to Jesus. And look at how she clings to Jesus, 25. But, see the contrast? Jesus said, I only came for the lost sheep of Israel, 25. But that doesn't deter her. She keeps clinging. She came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. She kneels before him, stops him in his tracks. You're not walking anymore, Lord. I'm sorry. I gotta get right here in front of you. I'm kneeling in front of you. Please, Lord, help me. Her faith has a grip on Jesus and she isn't letting go. How often have your kids begged for something? I gotta have that, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. You get it for them, what happens to it a month later? Gone, in the yard, rained on, ruined. In the back of their closet, don't see it anymore. How They beg, 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 I need this, give me two minutes, I'll do it for you. Two minutes goes by, they've moved on to something else. This woman has not moved on. How often have you prayed for something And it's just a quick, casual prayer in the car. Lord, please do X, Y, Z. You're done. Not a lot of passion. Not a lot of time behind it. And honestly, you order at Chick-fil-A with more passion and precision and time. How about a prayer where you're actually on the ground? Lord, help me. A prayer where you can remember the smell of your carpet. A prayer where you're face down in your bed and you made a spot on the sheets from your tears and your snot because you're crying out to God to help me. I don't know if I'm gonna make it through my addiction. I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through this marriage. I don't know if I'm gonna make it through my job and with my kids. Lord, I need you. And look at her crying out. As one scholar says about this passage, faith is clinging to Jesus for dear life. And this is my most repeated prayer too. 25, Lord, help me. I love this request. This is my request. He is our help. He is our refuge. Where does our help come from? The maker of heaven and earth. These words are never irrelevant. Faith looks at Jesus and says, I know who you are. I know I'm not wrong. I know you can help me. When, when Oliver, my son, when he's sick and crying out, he cries out, Mama. And I go, see, him. what's the matter, buddy? You need something? I just want Mama, not you. I understand. Let's go get her. When Ivy, my daughter, sees a spider in her bathroom. Who does she cry out for? Not mama. Papa, spider, papa's got it. Because she knows and he knows that's who they are, this is what they're better at. And when you know who Jesus is and what he can do, you know he can help me. He can do it. He can get me through it. He may not eject you from the difficulty. He may not remove the suffering. He may not fix the broken cells in our bodies and the timetable that we want, but he can get you through it. Whatever it is, parenting, marriage rockiness, doubts or addictions or work uncertainties or, or evangelism efforts or life stage transitions or pursuing spiritual growth or doing good works, just whatever it is, we say, Lord, help me. When life seems like whitewater rafting, Lord, help me. When you're just fumbling in the dark for the light switch, when life is like that, you say, Lord, help me. And Jesus answers. Look at how he answers, verse 26. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. What happened to gentle Jesus? (laughs) That's what I think when I read that passage the first time. What, what happened to gentle, gentle Jesus carrying the sheep to VBS? What happened to Jesus welcoming the children to sit on his lap at vacation Bible school? What happened? Why is he calling her a dog? Well, remember, we need the other pistachio shell here. And one of context. Jesus said, I came here for the lost sheep. Do you remember what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, Israel, and I've come to find them. I think Jesus is talking to her, saying, do you see yourself as a lost sheep, Canaanite woman? I have other sheep not of this fold. I, I have sheep in Tyre and Sidon. Are you one of them, Canaanite woman? Or do you just think I'm a healer? Do you just think somebody, I can just cast out the demon and you just want to move on? Or do you want to be one of my sheep? Now, there's another thing we really have to notice here too. And it has to do with a dog. To call her a dog, guys, this, this isn't as out of the blue um, as it would be to call someone a dog today. It would be really weird. But it was normal in the first century. let make it right. It was normal in the first century for Jewish people to look at Gentiles, non-Jews, and refer to them as dogs. It was, it was a put-down. Okay, that's great history. Why is Jesus doing it? Why is Jesus calling her a dog? Well, he is and he isn't. Hang with me. Jesus takes the slam and he turns it around. Remember, the disciples want to push her away. Jesus wants to pull her in. Jesus takes the slam and uses it as a word, not of pushing away, but of pulling in. He doesn't call her a dog A wild dog, like everyone that would normally be used, a a stray dog. He Jesus uses a different word that's used for house dog. A pet. Not the wild dog. Not the stray dog, but the dog that sits on the master's lap. The dog that the kids play with, a house dog, the dog that makes the family Christmas card. And she's probably heard it before. You're a dog. You're a dog. Jesus now walks up to her and says, I can't take the kids' bread, my miracles, my power, my kingdom, and throw it to the house dogs. Wink. Little smile. I think Jesus is smiling a little. I, I can't take the kids' bread and throw it to the house dogs. Not just, you're not just a normal dog, you're a house dog. Jesus is now, instead of pushing her away, Jesus is pulling her in. Do you see? He's leading her there. People think you're some stray wild dog. I don't, not me, no, 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 not me. I think you're a house dog. You belong in the house like the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He just said, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now I think you, Canaanite woman, I think you're a house dog. Do you think you're a house dog, Canaanite woman? He's leading her there by faith. And look at what she says. She's tracking with him. 27. Yes, Lord. Yet even the house dogs, not the wild dogs, even the house dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Yes, Lord, I'm a house dog. And even us house dogs, we get to eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Yes, Lord, I would love to be a house dog in your kingdom. I'm not from the ethnic bloodlines, but you brought me in. You found me. You bought me. You raised me. You feed me. And I'll eat whatever goodness your Jewish people don't want to eat. The Pharisees don't want to eat from your table. I'll eat their crumbs. The disciples are struggling to believe that you're the light of the world. I see. I'll eat their crumbs. I don't deserve it. I'm just a house dog, but I will eat away at your grace. And to see, what does she say? Look at 27 again. They can eat the crumbs that fall from what? The kitchen counter? No, no, no. That fall from their master's table. See that? Master. She's saying, Lord, you're my master. Call me a house dog, Lord, as long as you're my master on the other side. This faith is great. She knows I'm a house dog and he's my master. Church, every time your dog begs for food and annoys you to death, drooling, bugging you while you sit there eating, think of the gospel. That's you. When I finished this sermon, I opened up the air fryer to go take the kids' curly fries out. And as soon as I opened it, our giant, annoying 80-pound golden doodle popped up off the couch. And I looked at her after I finished writing this and I thought, you really annoy me. And I am just like you. I am you. I don't have the ethnic bloodlines. I'm a house dog in the kingdom of God. When my kids are eating, just like yours, they're messy. Chips fall to the ground. Noodles drop. Fries slide off their plates. A grilled cheese crust gets left behind. And butter, our dog, butter and pancakes, swoop up, snag it, eat it, get the crumbs that their masters leave behind. And church, that crumb of grace of Christ is enough to change your life forever. That drop, that crumb of grace of blood when Jesus dies is enough to change your life Forever. That crumb, that puff of air in his lungs when he rises from the dead is enough to change you forever, more than enough for us weary sinners. I just want a crumb. And when you pray for others, Lord, just throw him a crumb. A crumb is enough to change my son. A crumb is enough. And look at what Jesus says. 28. Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. From that moment, her daughter was healed. Incredible. And Now, another shell comes in here. Got to open it up a little more. What did we see last week, beloved? The faithlessness of the scribes and Pharisees. They encountered Jesus face to face, and they didn't believe. These are the religious experts of Israel, and they're rejecting him. And here's a woman, a Canaanite woman. An enemy of Israel with great faith. What did we see before the scribes and Pharisees? Jesus walking on water and the disciples are afraid. Peter standing on the water walking with Jesus. Then he falls and Jesus says what? Why did you doubt? Where's your faith? So there are the disciples. Faith is Diminishing, there's the Pharisees and scribes, the religious experts, no faith. Then here's a Canaanite woman, a house dog in the kingdom of God who just wants crumbs. And Jesus says, bingo, your faith is great because sinners just need Jesus. Doesn't matter where they're from, who they are, what they've done. Sinners just need Jesus. Do you know that? Are you clinging to Jesus? let it this way. Do you wanna be a house dog in the kingdom of God? Do you have a crummy faith? Great faith. Jesus is it. Me personally, I am so glad to be a rescue dog in the kingdom of God. I am thrilled to be a rescue dog in the kingdom of God where he lets me clean off the plates, he lets me lick the pots and pans, and I get to now enjoy all the things that were rejected in the first century, all the grace that flows down at Calvary is now all mine, and I'm I'm gonna cling to him forever, and I'm gonna eat those crumbs forever, and I'm gonna cry out to Jesus forever, and I'm gonna cling to Jesus now and forever, and he invites you to do the same thing. Cry out to him. Cling to him. And enjoy the crumbs from your master's table. And we're going to go eat some now. Some bread and some, some juice. Let's pray together. King Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you rescued me from the pound. That I was a wild, aimless, rejected, stray dog. Beaten, ignored. Ignored. No home, no hope. But you, you made me a house dog. You made me a part of your family. And now I am a child of God because of you, my big brother, my savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm, we're feasting on you. Whoever eats your flesh and drinks your blood has everlasting life. Whether we're, like the Canaanite woman, or whether like one of the disciples, Lord, someone here today needs to cry out to you. And we all here today need to keep clinging to you. And we need to cry out to you for others. Have mercy on me, have mercy on them, and let us eat the crumbs that fall from our master's table. You are our master, Lord. Lead us, transform us, guide us. And how sweet it is to be a house dog in the kingdom of God. It's in your name we pray, King Jesus, amen.